This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network and ZTalkRadio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play Doctor Online. And you remember how last week I was, on last week's show, I was talking about uh, that new album by the band Tool, the progressive metal band. And you know, I was saying that I was a bit tooled out because of, you know, my wife is a fan of Tool and she'd been playing a lot of stuff and showing me videos and telling me about them and that and it just got a little just got a little much now now she's backed off a bit she's still enjoying the new uh, Tool stuff and 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 enjoying the fact that uh, you can now listen to Tool on Spotify and get stuff on iTunes where you hadn't been able to do that for ever you know for a long time so the fans are very excited and all that now um, and you will recall that I said that um, that my favorite band, The Who, would be releasing a new album in November. Now, I know it's just the two original members that are still there, but I would make the argument that the drummer that they have in the band, Zach Starkey, uh, he's the son of Ringo Starr. Uh, he's been in the band, The Who. He's been playing with them uh, for longer than Keith Moon has. Um, so, you yeah. know, but that's in the live, uh, on, you know, in concert, that kind of stuff, playing there. Uh, maybe not not so much uh, recording, mat- recorded material that he's worked with them, but he's but there's more, and I believe he's involved uh, in the new album that is coming out in November. And also, I, I know he's involved in it because he's he's a member of the band. Um, the other thing is that I mentioned last week that uh, you know that the Tool album that came out is it had been 13 years since they have released a new album. Well, come November when the new Who album comes out, it will have been 13 years since they released a new album. There is a little difference between the two, though. The Who uh, did release a couple singles in that time period. And uh, uh, but Tool didn't. No singles, no live records, nothing. So, <clears throat> and I warned you that come November you might get uh, uh, hooed out because you know the new album will come out, and I'm sure I will excitedly talk about it. I hope I will excitedly talk about it. However, this morning. I'm recording this on Friday the 13th, uh, September 13th. Uh, there's, yeah, I'm recording it, and uh, this morning, The Who dropped the first single 
from the album, a song called Ball and Chain. And, uh, well, <clears throat> get ready for the next hour. Get comfortable. For the next hour, I will dissect that song line by line, note by note, second by... No, of course, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I am going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, I've listened to it, I don't know, I suppose about a dozen times today. Uh, considering that it's about four and a half minutes, what is that, about an hour? Does that add, come up to about an hour, listening to the song? Uh, maybe more than a dozen times, but you know, I, I've listened to it a fair amount. There is something about the song, though. It's not exactly new. You see, uh, what it is, is the, it's the Who's version of a, of, a, of a Pete Townsend solo track that he did back in 2015. Uh, he called the song Guantanamo. Uh, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, they decided to change the name to Ball and Chain. They didn't change the lyrics. This is still the same lyrics, and the song is essentially the same song. They hadn't really done, you know, they didn't do any musically too variant kind of a sound to it. Uh, Townsend's version, uh, Guantanamo, uh, the acoustic guitar is more in the lead of the band. It's ahead of the rest of the sound. It's kind of up front. Whereas in this one, the it's more electric. Uh, and obviously, uh, the, the Who version, it has uh, Roger Daltrey doing the, the lead vocals, and the Townsend version has Townsend doing it. And um, and that's it's not unusual that the Who have done that, uh, where Townsend has recorded a song, and then the Who records that same song. Uh, they did it with a song called Pure and Easy. That was back in in the early 1970s. It was part of Townsend's big Lifehouse project, or, yeah, Lifehouse project that he was going to try to do. It was his follow-up to Tommy. It was a big, ambitious thing that included a film and a series of concerts and, and an album and, and all kinds of stuff. But nobody really understood what Pete was trying to do. And uh, he had a nervous breakdown <laughs> and uh, ended up not being able to do the project. And what they did then was uh, the songs that they had, uh, he had written and they had recorded as the band, um, they released the album Who's Next, which is uh, probably their most, I think it's their most commercially successful album that they've done. Well, um, <clears throat> so for, you know, Townsend did some solo songs, uh, and Pure and Easy was one of them, and he, he put that out on an early album of his solo material, and then The Who recorded it. Uh, it didn't end up on Who's Next, though. It ended up on some other, uh, like Odds and Sods, I think it was, which was an album that was a bunch of B-sides and rare tracks and unreleased tracks and stuff. It wasn't a proper, the band goes in the studio and creates an album. It was just Odds and Ends, Odds and Sods, they called it. Uh, I believe that's what it was on. And I think there was... Um, Oh, Empty Glass, the uh, the title track to Townsend's uh, 1980s solo album. He did that, um, you know, as a you know as a solo. Uh, but the Who had recorded actually, I think the Who had recorded it before uh, Empty Glass came out. But it just they just didn't release it because uh, you can get that song, the Who's version of Empty Glass, um, 
on the if you get the CD deluxe CD edition of uh, Who Are You, which is the last true Who album where the four original members are all still together on that album, uh, and that's uh, so it's it's on the extras for that for the bonus tracks if you get that. So oh okay so it's it's not this isn't the first time this has happened where you know the Who does a Pete Towns you know does a solo track from Townsend. Um, <clears throat> of the two songs, I like them both. Uh, they, they, I would say that I think I like the Who version better. Uh, part of the reason is uh, it's uh, the vocals. Uh, now, <laughs> I, I hesitate to do this because I'm not a great singer. Uh, but I'm going to try and demonstrate try and demonstrate something here. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off. I was rehearsing this earlier today, but I I don't know if I'll pull it off. But um Towns on Townsend's version, uh, Pete has a, his vocals are are quite growly. And I prefer um uh, Daltrey, Roger Daltrey's growly vocals to Townsend's growly vocals. Uh, I prefer Townsend's voice, voice to be that that uh, uh, sweeter, cleaner sound without the growl. But I think it's something that I'm going to have to get used to because while well, he's 74 now, Townsend is, and his voice is kind of changed. But... Um, so when he does the more rocking kind of thing, he'll put a growl in his voice. So, uh, for example, you know the song Baba O'Reilly? That's off the Who's Next album. It's Most people mistakenly think that it's called uh, uh, Teenage Wasteland. That's what I thought it was at first before I became a, you know, a serious Who fan. Uh, and, but it's, you know, but it's Baba O'Reilly is the name of the song. And there's a middle bit in which uh, Roger sings the bulk of the vocals in the song, uh, lead vocals, but there's a middle bit where Townsend comes in and does some vocals, and it's, don't cry, don't raise your eye. Now, that doesn't really sound like Townsend, but it's it's cleaner, and I know I can't sing, so, you know, it's cleaner. Well, when you, and I've seen some more recent footage, live footage of Townsend, uh, you know, The Who playing that song, and when Townsend gets to it, it's, don't cry, don't raise your eye! It's more to it. So when he sings his Guantanamo version, it's down in Guantanamo! They still got the ball and chain! And it's okay. I mean, but it's... it's it's. I don't know if he's choosing to do the growl or if he doesn't really have much of a choice because of what's going on with his voice. I don't know. I think he chooses it to do it a little bit because... He has done, uh, at the same time, there was another new song that he put out, uh, um, How Do I Help You, I think is what it's called. And it's a nice, lilting, sweet voice Townsend one. So maybe it's a choice that he's doing that he's putting it on. But I prefer Roger. If there's going to be a growl, I'd rather have Roger's bluesy growl do it. <clears throat> but there was one thing different between the two songs. Uh, Townsend's version, again, you know, it's more of an acoustic in the lead of the band, uh, the, the acoustic guitar, uh, he, he you know he'll do these punctuations uh, with the acoustic guitar and uh, and along with it he'll do a little ha, he'll do it's like a clearing his throat ha, 
sound. And I kind of like that. At first, I was, it was a little jarring, but then, you know, it was okay. Um, I, I had a, uh, I shared it on Facebook. I had a friend uh, say that uh, um, he generally he liked it. He's not he's not a big Who fan, but generally he liked the song. He said that the like the three minute forty eight second mark it seems to lose its way for a little bit, but that that little break or uh, that little interlude in the song that's in Townsend's version. It's in you know the Who's version. It's intended. They, it was written that way. It's a, he, for whatever reason, he wanted to have that uh, that loose moment where it just kind of floats a little bit and trying to figure out where it's going to head next, and then it comes back together. <clears throat> Excuse me. I like that bit. Uh, um, I I I think it's fine, um, and it, it that works. Is it their greatest song ever? Well, no, it's Bob O'Reilly is that, uh, but it's 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 got you know it's got some balls to it, and it's uh, and it's nice to hear Daltrey do it, and uh, his his voice is limited in its range because of his age. He figures he might have another five years in his voice before he really will have to give it up. For the who really do have to give it up, um, but uh, you know since uh, since the who. Had uh, uh, broken up in 1982. Um, you know, I put that in air quotes when I said it. Um, they got back together uh, in uh, to do a, um, a live performance at Live Aid, which was what 85. Is that when that was? So they did that, and then that got Townsend thinking, you know, maybe we could. Uh... <laughs> he did a solo album. Uh, called uh, Iron, uh, the Iron Man uh, uh, musical, and he brings in a bunch of other singers to sing on the album. He sings plenty of songs, but he has these other people in singing. And I, I want to hear Townsend sing. That that bugged me a little bit. I know, call me a philistine, but that bugged me a little bit. But there's a couple of good tracks on there. Townsend does, and he brings Roger Daltrey and John Entwistle in to do two tracks on the album. One is a cover of the song Fire. You know, fire, dun, 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 teach you to burn, or whatever that song is, uh, by Arthur Brown, I, I think. And then, uh, then uh, uh, a Townsend original called "Dig," and I like that song. I, I dig it. Uh, it's a, I, I think that's pretty good. And then the, they toured in '89 and all that to get John Entwistle out of debt. Uh, they did a couple tours to do that. And uh, then in in the 2000s. This is just going to fill you in on their history. In 2004, they released two tracks uh, uh, after Entwistle had died. Uh, one track is called uh, Old Red Wine, which was a tribute to John Entwistle. And the other song is Real Good Looking Boy, which I think is a really good song. I really like it. They blend in at the beginning and in, in part of the song, like in the middle part of the song, they blend in the, the, the piano part of, uh, or the there's a, piano part that's playing part of Elvis Presley's song um, uh, I, <laughs> I Can't Help Falling in Love with You is that the name of the song? I think that's the name of the song so they have that in there because the the, the song "Real Good Looking Boy" is a is, is a, a song about the, the 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 inspiration that Townsend and Daltrey uh, got uh, from Elvis Presley when they saw him when they were kids uh, saw him on you know TV and heard his music so that happened, and then in 2006, 
they put out an album called Endless Wire as The Who. And that, you know, so when I was just recently talking with the uh, the Minnesota Skeptics, we had our meetup, and I was getting teased about uh, not liking the chug-a-chug-chug-chug-chug-chunk-chunk kind of guitar sound of, of Tool. Uh, I said, not that I don't like it, it's just, it's not, that's not my favorite style of guitar playing. I, I, there's probably some songs that have that. Not Travis, he tried to say that... Townsend's windmilling creates a chug sound, and no, it creates a clang sound. <laughs> it's, I beg to differ. But um, and when I mentioned it had been 13 years, he said, oh, really? And then uh, then there, there was a couple quizzical looks, uh, some of the skeptics, and they said, I thought they hadn't done an album in like 30 years. They were thinking of The Who's last album uh, with Entwistle, uh, which was... Um, uh, it's Hard, which came out in 1982. Well, no, in, in 2006, they did this album called Endless Wire, and it's it's okay. It's got a couple of interesting things going on in there, here and there. Daltrey's voice is pretty rough through some of it, and I think that was before they realized that he needed surgery on his throat and, and stuff. Um, yeah, the, the best songs uh, that, that are on it are actually uh, bonus tracks that are extended songs of you know, two ex- two songs that have been extended that were actually on the 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 official release. It's a you know, it, it, but you know, and then in 2014 they released this song called "Be Lucky," which I really like. I really dig that song because uh, it it just bounces along, and I just like how it feels, and it's reminiscent of uh, you know what what Daltrey would say about Townsend is that. You know, and Townsend could always write a great three-minute pop song. Uh, even from his early days, and especially in his early days, he would be writing these great, you know, three minutes or less pop songs. And uh, Be Lucky has that feel to me. And then, of course, there's uh, Ball and Chain now. I don't know why they changed the title. Uh, not sure why. Uh, it's a fairly political song about the, you know, the Guantanamo and, and uh, you know, holding terrorists down there I don't or suspected terrorists down there and um, I'm not sure what the what the deal is there it's still open it hasn't been closed uh, but I don't know if there's as many uh, detainees down there as there had been um, but yeah it's but it's a pretty overtly political song I like it I'll link to it on the show notes so you can check it out and uh, and see if you like it too. Uh, it's it's a Who song. I hope I didn't bore you too much in this first segment, but I'm kind of excited that that song came out, and I'm looking forward to the new album. Daltrey is saying it's he thinks it's their best album since Quadrophenia, which is saying a lot because Quadrophenia was a monster. It's my favorite Who album. Uh, it just it dug into my essence. <laughs> it's 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 permeated every corner of my being when I discovered it. It just went whoa, this is something. Yeah, I you know I, anyway, let's not keep me going too much. Uh, I am going to take my first break. Uh, I won't talk about the Who again for the rest of the show, uh, but that is uh, we're, we're going to call this uh, the release of this new song. We're going to call it a cool thing for the show. It's uh, I'm not sure how many cool things I'll have. I have a, I think I've at least two if I can get to the second one. But I got the one, so that's cool thing number one. All right, what do you think? And uh, anyway. Uh, I'm going to head to my break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I shall return.
getting the Z's. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen to Z Talk Radio on ztalkradio.com. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Those other guys. The finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, let's see. Um, should I get into it? I think I should. I'm going to uh, get into the this the signature moment of my show. Uh, I don't do it every show, but I do most of them, and I think it's a highlight moment. And uh, let's get it started. Time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Well, I've been listening. Uh, my wife had suggested it to me um, that I listen to this podcast called Case File, and it's a it's a true crime podcast. It's been going for a couple years or so, and it uh, it's produced in Australia. And it's a it's an interesting podcast. It's a, it's pretty much no nonsense. Uh, it just gets right to whatever their topic is. It gets right to it. There's no uh, there's no banter with co. There's no you know there's no Jack Parr open uh, for you younger people. That's the Marin open. There's there's no there's none of that. It's a little bit of theme music. Then the host of the show gives just a brief. A little teaser as to what the show is going to be about. Might play an audio clip, and then a little more music, and then into the show. And just uh, and it's the announcer, this young fellow with a very nice Australian accent, um, telling the story of some either some serial killer or uh, well, uh, when Amy suggested that I listen to this podcast, I went and I looked through and I said, well, let me see if I can find, you know, a topic one that I might find interesting. I'll start with that one, see what it's like. She said, I think you might like it. It's just, there's no messing around. Gets right to the story, tells the story. And I said, okay, so I look through and I find that there's a three-part uh, story about Jim Jones and the Jonestown uh, massacre, the, the tragedy of the, the mass suicide. 
and uh, uh, I thought, okay, I'll start with those. So the first episode gives a, an overview of Jim Jones's his childhood and his background and how he grew into this preacher guy and started a church and all that. And then the second episode is more about how big the church got and the influence he had uh, in, in, in California. Uh, and then it's starting to get odd looks from people outside of it. At first it was just this wonderful organization, very very forward-minded for civil rights and, and anti-racism and, and uh, you know, equality and uh, he had a very socialist aspect to his his uh, his, his ideals uh, but then you know his his nuttiness started to take over and the outsiders were starting to look at into it so they decided to take it on out of this country down to uh, to Guyana and create this Jonestown and then it you know the third part is about how Jonestown ran and and how it fell apart and the things that led to the more than 900 people committing suicide or forced to commit suicide and um, I thought it was pretty good I noticed one thing though I and I said to Amy I was listening to the third episode and I paused it and I listened I said you know the guy who hosts the show never says his name there's never a you know welcome to case file on this you know episode we're going to be examining it's not it's never that it's, it doesn't say it's I'm, I'm so and so your host and uh, we're going to examine this. He just does like he does that little bit of a teaser about what it's going to be, what he's going to be talking about. You know, the next three episodes gives you a warning that you know it's, the topics may be a little intense, might trigger, might you know that kind of stuff that, that people are warning others about. Just you know, if you're there's going to be some violent stuff and some to pick you know, descriptions of nasty things happening to people, and you know you should be warned. And he does that, but he doesn't say who he is. And I said, that, well, why is it? and she says, oh yeah, he's anonymous. It's, I, I don't know if any, if nobody knows who he is, but I, and I said, really, that's that's okay, that's interesting. And then I'm scrolling through all the back episodes, and I see that they do a, a few question and answer, you know, listener questions that people send in. And there was one of them said, listeners' questions for the anonymous host or something. I said, really, okay, he's an anonymous host. Uh, and as I said, it's produced in Australia. And uh, so I decided, okay, uh, I like the Jim Jones one. I thought, okay, fine, I'm going to subscribe and I'll start to dig through some of the back ones and find interesting topics and I'll see, you know, and form an even deeper opinion of the show. So I went back to one of the early ones. It's uh, their, their case number 15, and it's the Weepy Voiced Killer. Now, though. Folks who live in the Twin Cities and did live in the Twin Cities through the 1980s might recognize that the, the weepy voice killer because he was our he was Twin you know Minneapolis St Paul's own serial killer. Um, he he was a guy that um, would attack women. Uh, the first couple of attacks to, he didn't manage to kill them, uh, uh, but then there were I'm not sure how many I think he only did well I don't one is enough. Right, but he didn't. He wasn't like uh, you know killing thirty or something. He, but he had a, a number that he killed, and then um, anyway, he finally gets he finally gets caught. Now, what he would do though, that he, to get the weepy voiced killer uh, name, was he would call nine one one, and he just I just I don't know why I did it. I can't. You gotta stop me. You, gotta, you know he'd have this voice, and even and 
it's creepy. And I remember, from, and it was 1980 when this, these things began, and I can remember watching the local news because the police department decided to let the local news play the uh, the uh, the audio from these calls, hoping somebody would recognize the guy's voice. So I remember these being on the news. I'm like, geez, that's creepy. It's and and I and and I've heard other podcasts talk about this case, and there's been some suggestion that. His weepiness was a put on, uh, that he w really wasn't all that upset, that he was trying to disguise his voice using the weepy thing, or he was just thinking that's what it should sound like, but he wanted, I don't know. But who knows? Who knows what was going on in his head? Um, but it's, so, since it takes place in the Twin Cities, I know some things. And that's what's leading me to my pedantic moment. I'm going to play... This uh, this uh, segment from the show, and hopefully the audio sounds okay. On the 31st of December 1980, university student Karen Potak was out celebrating New Year's Eve with her sisters on University Avenue in an area known as the Twin Cities in Minnesota, USA. The city of St. Paul, which is the state capital of Minnesota, is on one side of University Avenue, and the city of Minneapolis, which is the largest city in Minnesota, is on the other side of University Avenue. Wrong. <laughs> I know, I know. This pedantic moment might be a little bit of an eye roller. And just, geez, how pedantic do you have to be? Well, you know, <laughs> it's understandable that somebody from Australia wouldn't know the geography of the Twin Cities. So it's an understandable thing. But it's, it's not set up that way. University Avenue does not go you know, between the Twin Cities. It doesn't split the Twin Cities. What it, it goes through the Twin Cities. Uh, if you're going east to west, you start in St. Paul, and it, it goes through St. Paul, splitting St. Paul. You know, a, a section, you know, through, uh, right through, the, I don't know if it's the middle of St. Paul, but it goes through a section of St. Paul, and then it, it jogs to, uh, 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 you know, it's going east, it's going east-west, you're heading west, and it jogs a little northwest, but it's still in St. Paul, and then it crosses a line into Minneapolis. So it's it, it generally going east to west. It starts in St. Paul, and it goes into Minneapolis, and then it kind of cuts through Minneapolis as well. So it's it's not a border line. It's you know it's so you would say uh, you shouldn't say that on one side uh, uh, it, there's St. Paul, and on the other side there's Minneapolis. You should say at one end. There's St. Paul, and at the other end is Minneapolis, and even that's not quite right. Uh, there is something that does, for the most part, slip between the Twin Cities. Uh, at one point, it, it cuts up and cuts into Minneapolis a little bit and splits a part of it off, and that's the Mississippi River. Uh, so... You know, the Mississippi River, for the most part, there's the St. Paul side and there's the Minneapolis side. But then as it gets, as it moves its way, uh, if, you, if you're heading north up the river, as, it, as you head north, it cuts into Minneapolis and, and it separates northeast Minneapolis from downtown Minneapolis. So, okay. So that's, that's and again, I, I understand that... Being from Australia, they may not know the landmark or the you know the the geography of the Twin Cities, but that's wrong. It doesn't. 
it's, that's not how it's set up. And I even I even went on and looked at maps just to make sure I had it right. And I said, yeah, yep, yeah, you know, there's a borderline where it crosses into Minneapolis. It's not okay. Um, but I will say, uh, despite the 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 subject matter of the of this particular podcast about the Weepy Voice Killer, to hear uh, the 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 Australian dude talk about locations in the Twin Cities, and I say, I know that one. I've been there. I remember that. And play clips from the local TV news shows from that time. And, you know, and you know, to say the call letters, you know, KSTP uh, Eyewitness News. And I thought, like, yeah, yeah, I used to watch that. Um, I don't know if I saw the, I probably saw Weepy Voiced uh, uh, news on 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 the, on the KSTP, but maybe it was WCCO. But and then they mentioned Mickey's Diner. Mickey's Diner is this neat little. Uh, it looks like a trolley, and it's on a corner in downtown St. Paul. And in the old days, it had this kind of open parking lot behind it. And uh, but now it has this big building, just kind of butt up right behind it. Uh, but it's this tiny little diner. It's a landmark site. I don't. I don't think it's. Uh, I, I think it's protected because it's a his, historical site. And I've eaten there. It's been since I was in art school. But I've been there, so it's really kind of cool. So when they when he's pointing out uh, um, landmarks, or when they play the, the the news clip, and and the the newsreader um, mentions uh, on the uh, in the construction site for Highway 35E. And it's oh yeah, I remember when 35E was being when that section was being built. I know what they're talking about and all that. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I don't know if I'd give that cool thing number two, but it is kind of cool. But but okay, so that's the pedantic moment. I know it's a little bit of an eye roller, but it's that's you know if you're not from the Twin Cities, you're not gonna know that more than likely unless you're some kind of map freak who loves to study street maps of various cities throughout the world. Are you one of those people? The other night when I was, uh, actually it was just last night, when I was gathered with the, uh, with the Minnesota skeptics, uh, I, I, had my, uh, I had a beer, and I usually just stop at one, and, and because I don't want to, you know, I got to drive. And you know, even though I'll be there for, I don't know, four hours, five hours, I could probably have two beers and be okay, but you know, and, uh, and so I had that, and then after I had my beer, I, I got a Diet Coke, and the fellow brought it over, and I take a sip on it, it's got a straw in there, I took a sip on the straw, and I went, what, did I leave the paper on the straw? You know, the paper wrapper for the straw? No, it was one of those paper straws. I went, huh, this is one of those paper straws. We're saving the turtles. And so I, you know, it's, I'm consuming my diet coke through the paper paper straw and i'm i'm trying to decide whether i i like the straw or not <laughs> and i decided i don't <laughs> i decided no i don't like this maybe it's just me being an old man and i am an old man but it just it, i don't like the feel of it In, you know on the lips it feels it feels like the paper is still on the plastic straw it's like, oh no, it's the straw itself. And then, as it sits in the water, or in your in your liquid, in your soda, uh, I, my Diet Coke, as it sits in there, it gets a little soft because of the water. 
the, the fluid, the liquid, the stuff that's in there, the soda, it gets soft. And and I have a tendency that you know sometimes I'll take the straw out uh, of it and I'll put it back in. And if there's ice in there, I discovered this. You try to put a paper straw back into an uh, you know an iced drink with a lot of ice in there. Good luck because it's not going to go past the ice because it's going to bend and break and well not break but it's just going to it's going to collapse on you because it's all wetted down. I. I just went, I, I don't like this. <laughs> I want my plastic. Let's get the petroleum products and let's have plastic. Um, we did That did lead to a talk about, does this really help the environment? And I don't know. Does this really save turtles? I don't know. But we did talk about, does it, is it, is it a, a potential that somebody will think, well, I'm using paper straws, so I'm doing my part while they drive their SUV around. Are they, are they, is that, you know, is that there, is that a way of saying, well, I'm doing my bit? Um, I don't know. It just was, uh, it's, I didn't like it. <laughs> I suppose I'll get used to it. Or some people say, well, why do you even need a straw? And, and that's, that's a good question. It is. But uh, sometimes drinking a lot of ice in it, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a little difficult to, you know, because that ice hits you in the face and hits your nose, or you know, it's just, yeah, it's just yeah, and it hurts. It, it really hurts because I drink very hard, and no, I don't. Anyway, um, I'm starting to ramble, so I better go to my next break. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dim Fitzsimmons. I'm gonna head to my next break, and we'll see what I got in my final segment for the show. Have you ever wondered what skeptics are up to in countries where English is not necessarily the first language? Or are you interested to learn about some fascinating and sometimes very bizarre Europe-related facts, events or people from history of skepticism? Or do you just want to know who's been really wrong lately? You can find out all about that and more on the award-winning show The ESP, the, the European, European Skeptics, Skeptics Podcast. Podcast. So, where can people find the show? You can find it online at theesp.eu, but you can also follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, or like us on Facebook. Oh, and you can contact the show by sending an email to info at theesp.eu. If you want to subscribe, do a quick search for the European Skeptics Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get to your podcast. The European Skeptics Podcast. The, the real ESP experience. experience.
Hey y'all, this is Tangina. You're gonna give me whiplash looking up there too. I've cleaned many houses, and I don't know what it is that hovers over Dr. Dim's house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take his wallet away from him. And I think what we might be dealing with is the beast. Hold on, did you just say that Dr. Dim doesn't believe in poltergeists, tiny fortune tellers, or the beast? Well, holy sh**. Why the didn't somebody tell me? Anyway, Dr. Dim's a skeptic. He'll be right back on ztalkradio.com. I still think this house is clean. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Ztalk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I do have a cool thing, another cool thing. Uh, this will be cool thing number two for the show. Uh, I, uh, I watched a bit of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part seven, uh, Part 2. <laughs> part 7. Part 2 on the uh, NBC, on the network TV. I didn't know it was on. It was on Saturday night, uh, for last Saturday night, and uh, I was just kind of flipping through, and I see that it's on. I went, "Oh, okay, I'll just watch this." Even though there'd be commercial interruptions, but you know, what the hell? I have to. I had to go do something, and, and then my show was going to be coming on. You know, my my show here, the playback on Saturday was going to be on. So I thought I'd just watch that for a while, and I noticed something. Uh, I could see what was going on. There's, there, there's, if there's a drawback to that particular uh, movie of the Harry Potter series, which is the final movie of the series, although I did see some headline about uh, the original cast is uh, that those that are still around uh, are getting back together to do a, a, a sequel, another Harry Potter movie, but I don't know what I, I don't know. I didn't read the article, just saw a headline, so it could have been some BS. Oh, I'll have to, I suppose I'll have to look into it now for next week. Anyway, for next week's show. Um, well, so I, I'm watching it, and I noticed that it seemed brighter. So I'm watching some scenes, and I'm just kind of going, well, it seems brighter in here. And I said to Amy, I said, doesn't it seem brighter to you? And she says, "Yeah, kinda." So she was watching something else on the on her on her on her handheld computer thing, and um, uh, but she looked and she says, "Yeah, kinda does." And then so it, it's, it's especially noticeable when they get to that final battle sequence at Hogwarts, when all the baddies, when all the Death Eaters are showing up to take over Hogwarts, and uh, you know it's at night. And there's a there's a scene where there's Lord Voldemort, the hero of the series. No, actually, that was Snape. Uh, Voldemort is standing at the tip of this 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 precipice that overlooks Hogwarts School, 
and and behind him is this this multitude of evil, uh, you know, witches and wizards. And pretty, you know, when you watch it on the D, I, I don't remember it being difficult to see in the theater, but on, when we watch it on DVD, it's it's kind of dark. And you see, you can see that there are faces and bodies there, but they're all wearing black, and they're all black. It's dark, and it's and it's kind of hard to see what's going on there, uh, even though you can pretty much know what's going on, especially if you saw it in the theater. It seemed like it might have looked better. It just seems, you know, and then. There's just it just seems really dark, and you, you, I adjust the brightness on the TV, and it doesn't really help all that much. So when when we were watching on net, on the network TV, it comes up and it's it's bright, uh, yeah, not you know day bright, but you know it, it, you can see the characters now. You can see all those Death Eaters fanning out behind uh, he who must not be named, and uh, it, it obviously. The, the network brightened it because they, they wanted it to show better on TV. But in doing that, and Amy pointed it out, she, when she was looking at that particular shot, she said, ooh, well, yeah, you kind of see why they wanted to keep it dark. Because dark hides the limitations of CGI, of the computer-generated imaging. There are limitations, and ways to hide those is to have it be dark or raining or or both, and it can kind of it can hide some of that stuff. So when it got brightened, you could see some of the CGI limitations. You could see that. It also tended to make the image look a little flat. Uh, I noticed that as well. But it was cool. To be actually able to see some of the stuff that I wasn't, I had, you know, I can't see when I watch it on the DVD. And I do, uh, periodically, take the Harry Potter series out. I put it in the laptop, put my headphones on, and I'll watch it myself. Uh, just the other night, my son came downstairs and saw me watching The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, and he says, Well, you really do like those, don't you? And I said, Yeah, well, I like to watch them. Well, you got a problem with that? And then he said, No. But, uh, and he just smiled at me. Oh, you old man. Uh, one thing interesting about the, the the Harry Potter series, which is something you can see from the from the first film, you know, the Sorcerer's Stone on through Deathly Hallows Part Two, you can see the progression of uh, of technology when it came to the CGI effects. Because it's the first film. If you look at it now, it's some of the stuff is especially the the Quidditch stuff and the uh, and the and the flying on the on the on the brooms. That stuff, you know, where, where uh, Neville Longbottom gets hung up on um, on a statue on the top of a big tall wall in the, in the school. You can see that the, the CGI is pretty. You know, it's pretty obvious, and and so you know. But it got better and gets better. It doesn't bother me, but it gets better and better throughout the series. One other thing that I think I think is pretty cool, um, and Amy and I just we we remark on it anytime we're watching uh, that last part of the Harry Potter series. Uh, there's a moment in there if you know the movie that um, they have this thing called Polyjuice po a Potion. You drink it. You put a, you put a little DNA, like a hair. From the person, from a person, you put that into the solution. You drink it, and you will, for like an hour or so, look like that person. You will take on their look, so you'll morph into them. And uh, 
for the story here, uh, Hermione needs to turn into Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange, and she gets, you know, she's able to do it. She mixes the potion, she turns into it. Now, now Bellatrix Lestrange is played by Helena Bonham Carter, and she is excellent. If you ever doubted that, there's a moment in that segment where it's, it's Hermione is changed into Bellatrix, and they're out on this beach, and they're getting together so that they can, you know, transport into, you know, wherever they need to go, teleport to whatever they do. And she, you know, Hermione, as Bellatrix, is walking to join uh, Harry and Ron, and she, it's Helena Bonham Carter playing the part, but she comes across as Hermione being Bellatrix the Strange. It, you, you, you know, her voice is still Hermione's, which is, they, they fudge that in the movie. Sometimes they sound exactly like the character that, they, that they're supposed to be, but sometimes they sound like, you know, still sound like Harry and Ron or Hermione. I don't know, you know, there doesn't seem to be much rules in movies. They do what they want. But when she walks up to those guys, it's, it's Helena Bonham Carter. It's her. But she's moving in such a way that you could see that it's that it's that it's Hermione inside that character. It's so well done. She really does a good job at it. And throughout the rest of it, where she's playing this part, you you you, you can see Hermione in her. That's I mean, what an awesome actor to be able to do that. It's really subtle, but it, it but it stands out. Um, I know that's weird. It's subtle, but it stands out. It's subtle acting, but it stands because it, you just you don't realize it until you're realizing. Wait a minute, that really isn't Hermione. That's really not uh, uh, Emma uh, Emma Watson. That's her name. It's not her. It's it's Helena Bonham Carter. It's, it's really cool. So if you're ever watching that that last part, watch for that scene where they're gathering together on the beach. She, Hermione has just turned into Bellatrix. Or it looks like Bellatrix, and they, and she walks up and just—it's really cool. It's very cool. I guess that would be a third cool. No, that's my second cool. Well, it's two cool things in one. Is that isn't that cool enough? All right. Um, I was watching some um, video stuff on YouTube, which, by the way, I know YouTube wants you to to pay for it. You know, isn't there like the red YouTube or whatever they call it? It's some kind of you can get, you can pay for some YouTube, and that takes the ads out of the stuff. I think. Uh, I some long form videos that they put on there, like a concert uh, or something like that. Uh, they're done better, but they'll they'll put in ads. They'll just you know, the screen will go black, and then an ad will play, and then they go back to where it was in the video. Some of them are done well where they cut between songs where it would seem natural to do such a thing but some of them right in the middle of the song and it's just like what the hell man it, it's just that you know you bastards you just want me to you just want me to pay you money don't you can't get anything for free without having to watch ads well anyway um i saw uh, this particular video segments th that i saw didn't have that happen but it was of the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he had his uh, as his guest was Jerry Seinfeld, and Seinfeld 
Well, the headline of it was uh, Seinfeld. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the headline was. I will link to it on the show notes at dimland.com. Click on the blog option. You'll get to the show notes. I'll link to the... There's two video segments I'll link to. And uh, it's... It, it's it, it, the headline for the first video segment is something about... Um, uh, Seinfeld talking about Bill Cosby's, you know, Bill Cosby, you know, his work and, and whatever. It's just something about it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I think I'll watch that and see what they talk about. Well, it's not the whole segment talking about it, but at some point in there, uh, uh, Colbert brings it up. And w- because uh, they were talking about this uh, this comedy special that that Seinfeld has, has uh, on Netflix now. It's called uh, Jerry Before Seinfeld. And it's uh, uh, he, he's he's using he's going back to the material that he did from when he was a kid to before his first appearance on the Johnny Carson show on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and just exploring that early stuff, and which made him think that you know I think I could be a comedian, you know, in that and uh, and he was trying it out, and so. That brought up the question that Colbert had was, uh, you know, who was your major influence? Who was, you know, who do you look at from when you were a kid, looking at them? And Seinfeld said Bill Cosby. And, you know, we all know about the stuff that Bill Cosby, has. we've all found out about him. Uh, and he's in prison now, I believe. And he, well, you know, sexual assault on women uh, is not a good thing. And... Uh, and it became an artist and art thing, separating the artist from the art. Can you do that? And, I mean, both Colbert and Seinfeld acknowledged the, the influence on comedy that Cosby had. I mean, his, they mentioned three of his, his early records that he put out. Uh, uh, Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? Uh, Why is there air? And one called Wonderfulness. Now, I've heard... I have. I think I still have them up in my room upstairs. The the Bill Cosby's a very funny fellow, right? And um, uh, why is there air? I have those. And when I was a kid, we had why is there air? My parents had it, and we kids thought it was hilarious. And it is very funny, and it's 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 great material, and it's influ- influential to a whole generation and more of comedians that followed him, and so it's understandable. That that Seinfeld would would say that he was a major influence, but Colbert brings up the question. He says, "Can you can you still watch, listen to the material, and be able to separate it from you know from what we know about Bill Cosby?" And Jerry looks up and says, "Oh yeah, yeah," and he's got this kind of incredulous look as it, and because Colbert says he can't, I, he says I can't separate him. I can't I can't do it. And really, you can't. It, you know, it's that reaction from Seinfeld. It's just this. It's like, oh no. I, and then Seinfeld brings up a couple examples. Like, I mean, you know, he brings up Bill Clinton, and what we know about Bill Clinton. You know, with the Monica Lewinsky stuff and all that. What we know about that. And Colbert's joke was, well, I never thought Clinton was that funny, or something like that. And then he, and then Seinfeld brings up Jerry Lewis, and Jerry Lewis could be an asshole, and apparently he was an asshole to his sons because when Jerry died, he left them nothing in his will, and and you know it's but, but Colbert would say that's not quite the same thing, and Colbert made some good arguments. He says 
Cosby built his reputation on on family stuff, family material, talking about his families, talking about that kind of thing. And and Seinfeld said, "Well, you know, that's material. That's not you know suggesting that this isn't real, the stuff that uh, Cosby talked about." And and Colbert said, "Well, I I realize that, but but you know, Cosby built a reputation of being a family man. You know, this is family stuff. This I'm a family man kind of thing." And he says, "I I can't." I can't separate it now. And then, and, and Seinfeld was still a little incredulous, a little, huh, okay, well. And the audience is very quiet during this exchange. They move on to another topic, and then uh, that first that segment, that first video, it comes to an end. And that was the first segment of that show. And then there's another video that they had, which was the second segment with Seinfeld. So they come back from commercial. When you watch that one, and at the top of that, right when they get back from commercial, um, before Colbert moves on to something else, Seinfeld says, you know, I'm just sitting there during the break. And I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about what we were talking about and what he said. And he says, you know, I can't separate it either. He did a reverse. He says he, he, he thought about it. He must have thought about uh, Colbert's arguments and thought that they made sense. And now, now he says, I, I can't separate it either. Now, the cynic in me might say he might have been uh, you know, checking the temperature of the room and realizing, that was kind of cold. Maybe I should uh, turn around from there. You know, He had somebody that he acted with uh, who uh, dropped a bad word in a crowd uh, and during a show, and his career was destroyed. And Seinfeld might have been thinking about that. And Seinfeld tried to help that man out. That was Michael Richards. Uh, he was trying to help him out when they, they, they both appeared on, on Dave Letterman's show, and Richards couldn't look more pathetic and, 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 and sorry. But, you know. So maybe that was, you know, the cynic would say, oh, he's covering his ass. He thought, ooh, maybe I should backtrack on that. But to to practice the principle of charity, I would take it at face value. He thought about it. He thought the argument that Corbera made was good and realized that he can't separate it. So there you go. Um, and then <laughs> Seinfeld ends it by saying, you know, in this political climate we have now and people always arguing, you never have anybody say, you know what, you're right, I was wrong. I changed my mind. Nobody ever does that. I do know of somebody who has uh, a celebrity. It was Penn Jillette. Penn Jillette was uh, on some one of those news programs. He was brought in to be the nut view, the libertarian view. And that's what uh, Penn would always call it. He'd call it the nut view. He'd, he'd come on, and it was about uh, the Boy Scouts of America uh, not allowing uh, uh, gays to be scoutmasters. And he was—he came on with the libertarian point of view, saying, "Well, they're a private organization; they can make up their rules. It's—you know—they can do what they want." And then there was another person that opposed. Well, that was the opposition view. And their discussion. The other person, she said something about um, the the Boy Scouts get some form of government aid. Uh, they get uh, they, their jamborees that they have. They hold that on government land, and they get it. They get no charge, or it's cheap, or something. So, so they are at least partially subsidized by the American government. And when Penn heard that, he says they are. <laughs> he tells the story. He says really, and she says yeah, they're they're you know. And he says oh, well then I'm wrong. He says his his idea is that that which the government funds it can regulate. 
I don't know if you use those words, but it's just like, oh well, now it's since they're they're getting money from the taxpayer, they can't they they can't be discriminating against uh, against gays or anybody because they're getting taxpayer money or sort of getting taxpayer money. That's as best as I ever can recall it. So he did change his mind on a debate show on CNN or wherever it was. He he changed his mind right there. So it can be done. It can be done. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I suppose uh, I should get this thing ready to uh, play this little thing. Good night. That's right. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well... Come on, shut up, let's go. <laughs> I'm so impatient to get out of here. Uh, I've come to the end of another show. You know why I'm impatient. i got to listen to that ball and chain song again. Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I am your host saying to you to remember to always sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning, tuning us in. in. What? 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 What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Well, well I'm, I'm going, going to hell. hell.